Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of the CCGI podcast. Last week we interviewed Dr. Francis LeBlanc and discussed chiropractic in New Brunswick and research in the Maritimes. This week we have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Elizabeth Angier, a chiropractor in North Wales. Before we interview Elizabeth, Kent and I would like to discuss the new app from the European Chiropractors Union. Despite the app being targeted for European chiropractors, I still find it useful here in North America. Uh, I usually visit the alerts and research sections. The research section provides a regular stream of interesting articles that I can read on my phone, which is, which is pretty convenient for me. They typically include an abstract and a link to the full article when it's open access. And Kent, we're starting to see more healthcare and specifically chiropractic apps enter the marketplace as this newer technology evolves. What do you think the benefits um, are that apps can provide clinicians and patients? Well, I think there's I think there's benefits for both groups. Um, you know, looking at clinicians, they, there was actually a study done in 2016 on family physicians, and they found that 66 percent, you know, about two thirds of the family physicians had some kind of medical app on their smartphones, and about half use the medical app at least once a day. Some of that evidence, uh, some there's also some evidence that sort of supports the, the notion that mobile devices allow practitioners to be more efficient in their work practices. Now, if you go to patients, patients use apps for all kinds of different reasons, to get information on different conditions, for screening, for self-treatment and self-management ideas. Um, an effective patient-directed app can help really facilitate self-monitoring, goal setting, and, and give feedback on, on the goals that people are setting and whether or not they're, they're achieving them. One of the apps that I really like that's fairly new is, uh, and it's directed towards patients is called Carrot. Um, it actually received funding from the government of Ontario, and it gives people points for completing health quizzes and doing different things with the app. Those points can then be turned into rewards at coffee shops and grocery stores and, and things like that. So that's one that I think people should really keep an eye on. And, and, uh, and it might be really, it's one that could be actually quite fun for patients to get involved with. Great. Yeah, that's one of my favorites too. Uh, the, the Carrot app's worth checking out for sure. Um, uh, it's really good at keeping track of my steps throughout the day and, and uh, of course who doesn't like earning points for and gift cards for, for grocery stores and, and coffee shops. Um, so well, let's move on to our, our guest interview here and, and get things going. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth Angier is a practicing clinician running her own clinic on the Welsh island of Anglesey. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly. She is the chair of the Chiropractic Research Council, a UK-based charitable organization that aims to promote research, increase research capacity, aid knowledge transfer, and support researchers for the benefit of UK chiropractic patients. She is a keen advocate for the chiropractic profession and has lectured nationally and internationally on the importance of professional practice, ethical, patient-centered, evidence-informed care, and ways to develop a research strategy and improve research capacity. Dr. Angier served as a council member and vice president of the British Chiropractic Association from 2011 to 2016. Uh, welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you for being on the, the podcast with us. Hi, Kent. Hi, Galen. Thank you for having me on it. Well, thanks for joining us. I, I do have to, before we ask you any questions, I do have to mention that I looked up where you practice. Uh, in, in Wales, we had this conversation. Uh, it's it's spelled L L A N G E F N I. I thought you'd say it's pronounced Langefni, but how do, you, how do you actually say the the, the town you practice in? Yeah, I know. Well, the hint for for Welsh is if it's a double L, it's a cl. 
so it's a clan gavney um it's taken me 10 years to get vaguely near it so okay. i'm still trying so you're forgiven okay. it's all right okay okay i'm trying to learn <laughs> so elizabeth what uh, you know we're over here in canada and you're you're in the uk what can you tell us about practicing in the uk is is chiropractic any different than over there than it is in other countries um, I think there are quite a few similarities between between countries internationally. I mean, I've had the benefit of working in various different areas around the UK, um, most recently for the last 10 years here in Wales. Um, but generally in the UK, as in other countries, you have to be registered with our regulatory body. We've got the General Chiropractic Council that we have to um, be on their register and we have to renew our registration every year. Um, so effectively, it's illegal to practice in the UK if you're not registered with the General Chiropractic Council. Now, luckily, if you if you train within the UK from one of our accredited colleges, um, you're automatically registered. So once you graduate, that's you done. You can you can crack on. Um, although, as I say, you do have to uh, renew your registration every year on completion of your uh, CPD requirements and things. If you trained elsewhere, for example, if you trained in Canada or in the States or what have you, you'd have to sit a test of competence with the General Chiropractic Council um, to ensure that you're fit to practice within the UK um, and that you're cognizant of our, well, their, their code of practice. Um, basically, they're there to protect the patients. Um, so if we do anything wrong, we can get struck off by the GCC. So I think that's a similarity. Um, in the UK, chiropractic generally isn't available on our national health service. Um, it's only available primarily through private practice. So patients have to pay for treatment. Um, some patients may have private health insurance, um, but not all. So obviously that does mean that chiropractic services are restricted to those who can afford it, unfortunately. Um, here on Anglesey, I think the average income is about sixteen and a half, seventeen thousand pounds per year. So it's a very poor income area. Um, but a lot of a lot of my patients, you know, I've got an incredibly busy practice, and they all do come in to see us. Um, in a few areas within the UK, um, some chiropractors do have a contract with their local uh, clinical commission group. I think it's called their local sort of NHS region. Um, so they're able to provide musculoskeletal services to patients paid for by the NHS and they will be referred to that chiropractor by their general practitioner. But this is a, a very rare um, occurrence. They've done a few pilot studies on it and it does seem to be um, a, a good source. So that's a, one avenue that we need to need to do. Um, so the important thing to do is just to establish a good rapport with your local GPs and your local healthcare community and hope that they suggest that their patients might come to see you um, in, in, in whilst they're waiting to see a physiotherapist or what have you on the NHS. Um, I think sort of the third, third thing in the, in the UK is we're actually a very small profession here in, in the United Kingdom. We've only got about 3,300 registered chiropractors. Um, in a population of about 65 million here in the UK. In Canada, I think you've got about 8,000 chiropractors and your population's about 36 million. So we're desperately under-resourced with chiropractors, um, which is a good thing because it means we've got huge opportunities for, for the profession. Um, we all know how prevalent back and neck and spine pain is, how prevalent musculoskeletal pain is, and particularly with an ageing population, as we have globally, 
um, this problem is only going to get bigger. So um, there's huge opportunities for chiropractic here in the UK. Um, I don't know what the utilisation of chiropractic is over here. I know that in Canada, a recent study um, showed that it was only about 9% um, of chiropractic services uh, within sort of the general population. I would imagine that it's probably much less than that here in the UK, perhaps 5 or 6%. Um, it'd be very interesting to conduct a st similar study here in the UK. Um, so, so yeah, so it's there are similarities um, and differences, but it's definitely a good profession to be in here in the UK, and there's, there are plenty of opportunities. Well, it sounds like you know there are a lot of opportunities. I'm sure there are quite a few challenges. I mean, what what do you find are some of the biggest challenges about practicing in the UK? Um, I think probably. One of the biggest challenges here in the UK, and I think it's perhaps something that is reflected internationally as well, is we're still not mainstream. We're still not within the sort of the mainstream healthcare remit, if you like. Um, we're regarded with a lack of understanding and perhaps even mistrust by members of the public and perhaps overall healthcare professionals. I mean, the good thing is, is that they, the the general chiropractic council surveyed um, patients over the last um, few years, and they found that patients seeing chiropractors once they knew about it felt very very um, much better after it, and they're very satisfied with the care that they had received. But um, there is a just sort of a general misunderstanding of what we chiropractors do. Um, there's a lack of trust, and we need to build confidence and understanding with this and gain cultural authority. Um, and I think, I think we as a profession are perhaps partially to blame for this. I think we become so insular within the profession. Um, we get bogged down with terms and ideas and philosophies and politis, po political viewpoints that we chiropractors are really, really sort of hung up about. Um, but outside the profession, to patients, to policyholders to stakeholders, they're really not interested in, you know, what adjustment we've done or how it's worked or whether it's fixing a subluxation or whatever. They want to know whether we're able to help patients, are we able to do so effectively, efficiently, affordably, and particularly in a safe, patient-centered, evidence-based way. Um, so I think that's one of the big challenges in the UK is that we're just not mainstream um, and as a profession, we're not really, well, we are trying to improve it, but we, you know, we're our, our own worst enemy at times. We waste time and resources arguing internally rather than focusing on the bigger picture of the patient and, and the, you know, the big problem that musculoskeletal disorders are. Um, so that's one of the big challenges. The other big challenge I've, I've, um, said beforehand we're only a small profession here in the UK um, and we're not really growing this number has stagnated at about just over 3,000 for about the last 10, 10 12 years or so um, in comparison we've got 54,000 physiotherapists um, and bearing in mind that they work already within the, the National Health Service so your local GPs and your musculoskeletal consultants will have links with physiotherapists, they'll know how to refer to them, they'll know what they do. Um, so there's, you know, there's a, there's a danger that we may just get squashed out of the market if we don't sort of 
um, increase our size and increase our cultural authority and gain credibility and understanding for what we can provide as chiropractors. We've also got about five and a half thousand osteopaths in the UK. Um, they have a very similar length of training and a very similar scope of practice to chiropractic, practicing primarily within the private um, practice arena. So again, we've got competition for what we do, and unless we unless we grow um, our our numbers, we, we as I say, we may just get squashed out. Um, we're trying to do this. We've currently got three chiropractic schools in the UK. We've got the AECC University College, formerly the Anglo European College of Chiropractic. It renamed itself early on this year. Uh, sorry, end of last year. We've got the Welsh Institute of Chiropractic and the McTimney College of Chiropractic, and they all offer a four-year master's uh, level programme um, that is accredited with the General Chiropractic Council, our regulatory body. However, at present, about 50% of the students in each of those colleges um, come from elsewhere in Europe, particularly Scandinavia. So once they graduate, they usually return back home to Europe, so they're not staying here in the UK. So one of the easiest ways that we could double our numbers quite quickly is just getting more UK students, more UK high school leavers to enrol into a chiropractic program. Um, so that's something that we could do is to make it much, much more um, mainstream and make it a very credible and viable alternative career choice for high school leavers um, as an alternative to medicine, dentistry, nursing or, or what have you. Um, we are starting a few new chiropractic programs. That's the plan. There's a new one starting in London, scheduled later on this year. It should start in fall of 2018. Um, but obviously, this is a slower method. It's going to take four or five years for those new programs to start churning out chiropractors. Um, and then I think the third challenge that we have in the UK, and one that's particularly dear to me, obviously, as chair of the Chiropractic Research Council is that we have a very small research capacity, i.e. the number of people involved with generating research that supports the rest of the profession. Um, it's not exclusive to the UK. I think it's a problem that we have internationally and at the global level. Um, there was a study done back in 2009, I think it was, Andre Boussier, your CCGI project lead and his team, um, did a study then. I think they worked out that it was only about one to two percent of the profession um, was involved within research. Um, and this has increased a little, but it's still very, very small. Um, I think the same is true here in the UK, um, if not even more so. We've got only a handful of people with PhDs and very few people conducting actual research studies. And that's including even those within the academic institutions. Um, now, our students at Chiropractic College are taught a lot of um, very good research methodology um, right from the, the baseline level, you know, the understanding of scientific method, the acquisition of research skills, including qualitative and quantitative methodology, the, the tiers or the hierarchy of the research, the evidence-based practice pyramid, if you like. Um, and actually all the students in their third and fourth year will conduct a full systematic review and have to put together a, a, a full research proposal as though they were going to do a research study. Um, the majority of them don't actually go on to do the data collection phase in, in the universities. 
Um, primarily because it's understood that the emphasis is basically on training clinical chiropractors, which is absolutely fine. But we don't at the moment really have much of an environment with which to nurture people who do have a thirst and an understanding for for research and who might want to go on and develop a research career, either exclusively going on to do a PhD and a postdoc, or as a clinical researcher working in practice but taking part in research studies and boosting the general research capacity for the UK. Um, and we need to build a strong research culture in order to gain cultural authority and credibility with, with everybody, with patients, with policyholders, with healthcare professionals, um, as well as looking internally to try to, you know, work out what it is that we're doing. And to quote Jan Hartvigsen, one of our leading chiropractic, um, chiropractic researchers, um, we need research to not prove what we do, but to improve what we do. Um, and that's something that I think is is a really good little quote that I always remember and requote whenever possible. So thank you, Jan, to that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's actually a really good uh, good way to frame to frame things. And one of the ways that that people can, or one of the tools that people can use to to kind of help improve the way that they practice is to use things like clinical practice guidelines. Uh, Galen and I have been fortunate; we've got to work with you on a little project with the CCGI. <laughs> um, so, um, how how do you personally use guidelines in practice? Like, how do they how do they help inform your decision making? Um, well, personally, I mean, I, I, I do use the I do use clinical guidelines specifically within practice, um, and and I find them really reassuring in a way. They're they're a great way for me to to know that I'm doing it the best I can for my patients. Um, it's important to remember that they're tools, not rules, to quote another good chiropractic research, Andre. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think sometimes people think, oh, crikey, there's a clinical guideline there. I must do what it says. And and it's important to remember that that's not what it's about. They're there as a, oh, you might want to try this or you might want to do that and add it onto your, your own clinical expertise together with the patient's preferences. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it it's reassuring for me to know that I'm doing what is advised or suggested from the best available literature. Um, and it reassures my patients as well. You know, sometimes if they question why am I doing something or will this work? And I can say, well, you know, I can't guarantee that it'll work. But certainly in the clinical guidelines for the management of this particular condition, it shows that, you know, this should have a beneficial effect and things. Um, so it definitely increases my own personal confidence and the trust that my patients have in me. Um, and I find also from a professional point of view, it's very good for networking and engaging with other healthcare professionals. Um, you know, we've got our, <clears throat> excuse me, um, if I'm chatting to a healthcare professional and I can drop in the, the clinical guideline terms and say, yes, you know, we work in accordance with our clinical guidelines, that makes them understand that we are a credible healthcare profession. Um, and it helps you at the even higher level with the policyholders and the stakeholders that we might want to be approaching to um, engage with chiropractic and chiropractic care. For instance, we have a, 
a national guideline initiative, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, which is we always call the NICE guidelines. Um, and there are some nice guidelines for low back pain with and without sciatica published uh, back at the end of 2016, I think it was. They're reviewed every couple of years or so. And the, the NICE guidelines for low back pain with and without sciatica re recommended a package of care, including self-management, exercise, manual therapies, including mobilisation, manipulation and soft tissue work and the biopsychosocial approach. And so it's brilliant to be able to, you know, jot down in a, a letter to, a, you know, the GP practices in my local community or when in talking to sort of policyholders to say, look, we chiropractors deliver the package of care that is recommended within the NICE guidelines for the management of low back pain. So that's that's another way that it can help not only me personally, but practitioners in general um, by utilising guidelines in practice. Um, specifically in my day-to-day -day practice, um, ones that I use, we've got the Royal College of Chiropractic here in the UK, which is sort of our postgraduate education body. They um, do our uh, CPD and things and run seminars and courses. And the Royal College of Chiropractic has produced a set of of chiropractic quality standards um, on neck pain, low back pain, acute and chronic, clinical governance and self-support management. Um, and these quality standards lay out a set of statements based on the best clinical expertise um, and clinical uh, literature, sorry, uh, research literature, and state what we should be doing um, the concise quality statements with us with sort of measures of the best quality care that we could be doing and I use these in practice to conduct clinical audits so I'll get the low back pain uh, quality standard pull out 10 files randomly from my file and just go through the quality standard and cross check against my patient files am I actually doing what's laid out within the uh, Royal College uh, quality standards so that's a really good way for me to actually assess the quality of care that I'm providing to my patients <clears throat> the other ones that I use, I, as you mentioned, we've been working together on the CCGI guidelines, um, and I particularly use the neck pain videos that were produced uh, probably in the middle of last year, I think it was. Um, I've actually loaded the neck pain exercise videos onto my clinic website, and I recommend them to patients. Um, we go through the exercises together, and then I actually you get their phone go to my clinic website on their phone, click on my exercises page on their phone, and then they've got no excuse for not actually knowing where the exercises are. Actually, that boosts my hits on my clinic website as well, so it does have a have a beneficial effect for improving my search engine optimization and what have you. Um, and patients find that they really enjoy using the videos. Um, they know where to go if they have a problem. I'm now finding that they're actually sort of coming in saying, oh, I hurt my neck over Christmas, but I did my exercises from the videos and it's feeling a bit better, but I could do with a bit more treatment. It's made them much, much more compliant um, with it. And I'm very much looking forward to the low back pain ones as and when they come out, which hopefully will be over the next few months. So fingers crossed with that one. Yeah, I think they're uh, well. Uh, we know they're they're on the way, so it'll, it'll they'll be they'll be out in early 2018. Kind of kind of changing gears back to something you'd already spoke about uh, the Chiropractic Research <clears throat> Council, the CRC. Now, mm -hmm. personally, I'm personally I'm quite grateful to the CRC because you're actually my funding body for my PhD <laughs> study. Um, but for our listeners who maybe don't know as much about the CRC, what can you, what can you tell us about 
Uh, tell us about it and your role within it, and and where do you see the future of the CRC going? Okay. Um, well, as you mentioned in the introduction, the CRC is a UK charitable organisation, so it's a not not for profit charity, um, and it was established back in 2013 by um, the then British Chiropractic Association president, uh, Dr. Richard Brown, who's now the Secretary General of the World Federation of Chiropractic. Um, And I was a founding trustee back in 2013 and then took over as secretary and then took over as chair of the charity back in 2016. Um, And the CRC really came about in sort of, it was, we thought about it 2010, 2011, around there following on from a large media complaint that we'd had uh, with the Advertising Standards Association, where the our advertising standards regulator had complained about what chiropractors and other healthcare, prof- healthcare professionals were saying they could or couldn't treat um, on websites and you know, published advertising material. That led into the Bromford report, which was a huge review that looked at all the evidence that there was regarding chiropractic treatment. And really, it just served to highlight the huge, huge, massive gaps that there were regarding chiropractic care, um, manual therapy and all that sort of thing. So as I say, we all got together and thought, right, what we need to do is we need to be boosting research, chiropractic research, research capacity in the UK. So, excuse me, we set up the CRC. And um, our aim is to promote research, support researchers, build research capacity in the UK. Um, and it has to be for the benefit of the chiropractic patient um, and, and members of the public. We can't, and this is due to the UK Charities Commission ruling, we're not allowed to be supporting the UK chiropractic profession. It has to be patient centred um, which is great, actually, because that's what our chiropractic care sh- should be. You know, we're, we're there to treat our patients. So our research should be there to provide important information and evidence for the benefit of our patients. Indirectly, of course, it does help to support the chiropractic profession because, you know, it all, it all snowballs from there. Um, we're a charitable organisation, as I say. Most of our funding comes from the very generous membership of the British Chiropractic Association. When we set up the CRC, the members all voted unanimously that they would be happy to support the CRC with a with a levy. They pay just a pound a week um, into the CRC, £50 a year. Um, and we're trying to encourage all UK chiropractors to contribute to this, um, as well as getting other sort of fund, funds from elsewhere. I mean, if all, if each and every 3,300 chiropractor gave just a pound a week to the CRC, if my maths is right, I think we'd generate a fund of about £170,000 per year, which is a massive amount. I mean, it's a huge amount of money and we could do a lot of work with that. Having said which, research studies are costly. Um, so, you know, the, the money could be there and it is there, but it gets spent very, very quickly, which is the problem. Um, so that's, that's how we started. Um, and we spent quite a long time building a, a, a robust, reliable, you know, sustainable, um, organization basically. 
um, so that we won't just fizzle out. We want to have longevity and we want to be seeing this through for the, you know, the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, but we have funded two big research studies, one of which, uh, Kent, <laughs> hmm. you're a proud recipient of. So thank you for all the research that you're doing. And you're working with uh, Pete McCarthy from the Welsh Institute of Chiropractic um, into patient-centred care, if I'm correct. Yes. Which obviously has huge benefit to our chiropractic patients. So that's a, a brilliant one. And it's and it's great to be able to to support researchers like you. Um, and we've also su supported and funded another study with uh, Professor Alan Breen, who's one of our leading UK researchers. Um, and he's been doing a study jointly with the um, AACC University College and the University Exeter Biomechanics Department, um, looking using qualitative fluoroscopy, which is a, um, moving MRI Im images to determine the forces generated within the spine in normal subjects and therefore it's hoped that this might enable us to see what's happening at the you know spinal segmental level what's happening in patients with pathology and back pain and things what actually happens in those in those movement patterns um so this is a fascinating piece of research um i admit that some of the physics and things is way over my head um, but it does have um, a good a good um, implications for how it might be helping us in in the future. So we funded those two studies, or we are funding those two studies. Um, but as I touched on, individual research studies are hugely expensive. I mean, we're looking at sort of fifty, sixty, seventy thousand pounds and some to conduct one study. And um, they have a limited uptake, you know. I'm sure, Kent, your mum and family and friends will read your paper and you'll be hugely proud of it and things. But not everybody's going to, you know, going to see the impact of that. Um, so research studies have a small impact and benefit to overall research capacity. Um, and whilst the research is getting much, much better at knowledge translation, delivering the research methods and findings into palatable bite-sized chunks um, with clinical guidelines and things like this, the podcast, the webinars, the Facebook groups. I think we're all getting much, much better at reading and using research. Um, we're, we're still um, not really building research capacity or getting more people conducting research. So that's what we as a charity are now really focusing our efforts on is to build the UK research capacity. Um, and a big initiative that we funded last year that's an ongoing thing for five years is to fund a, the position of a visiting research fellow at the University of Southampton over five years. Um, and we've also providing funding for two PhD students. Um, and this is a huge coup in many ways for the chiropractic profession. Southampton University is a is a very large, world-renowned university. It's got an excellent reputation for healthcare research and rates very highly within um, funding applications, grant applications, research awards, and all that sort of thing that's understood by the, the wider healthcare and research communities. Um, and our visiting research fellow, Dr. David Newell, um, is housed within the Department of Primary Care and Population Sciences within the Faculty of Medicine. So Dave is able to network with other healthcare professionals, 
MSK specialists, um, occupational therapists, physios, doctors, orthopods, you name it. He's in there working with the professionals, working with the other researchers. And this networking, collaborative work with the wider healthcare community is really going to help us gain credibility and traction um, as a profession. So that's a great initiative that we're doing. And Dave's doing brilliantly there. He's been in post since September of last year. Um, and as I say, is hoping to they're hoping to be recruiting two PhD students probably later on this year, early next year. Um, and it's hoped that the Southampton Initiative will provide the much needed environment in which to nurture few future researchers, not only PhDs, but perhaps providing supervision for post postgraduate research internships, um, supervision of master's students, postdocs, you know, it, what would be ideal is you've got the research fellow who super, supervises the PhDs, who supervises the masters, who supervises the po new baby postgraduate research interns. So you've got the whole pyramid of sort of research support and mentoring that you'd have in any other scientific undergraduate, postgraduate degree program in, in any other university. And I think we lack that within the chiropractic profession. A research career isn't normal, um, isn't a normal avenue for, for chiropractors yet. Um, so that's sort of the, the environment that we're hoping to build. Um, and the CRC is hoping to provide, well, it will be providing grants for some grants for postgraduate students and studies and things like that. Um, and another big initiative that we're setting up is, and I've been working on over the last year with a, with a team of um, people, is setting up and establishing a practice-based research network. Um, they have them in Canada, they've got them in Australia, they've got the ACORN, ACORN Research Network in Australia. And I know that you've got a PBRN in Canada that's um, been doing some, producing some good research recently. Um, and basically a PBRN, a practice-based research network, is exactly that. It's a network of chiropractors that are all working together to collect um, clinical data that can be then um, put into research studies. And the idea is, is that we'll use an electronic health record. We've got a care response here in the UK that automatically collects patient reported outcome measures and patient reported experiment experiential measures so proms and prams um, and this will allow us to collect big data um, and then conduct much much larger scale studies here in the UK and potentially interlink with other PBRNs nationally and internationally um, so that we can be gathering data and conducting studies on a on a global level um, so that's one thing that we're we're working on at the moment, and I hope we will get sorted and set up over the next couple of months, um, and we'll be recruiting clinicians to take part or to join up to that PBRN here in the UK. Um, so that's another big initiative that we've been working on. And um, the other big thing that we're going to be doing is, you know, determining what really is the research agenda for the UK. Um, how do we move this, you know, the research ship forwards, if you like? Um, and we're going to be getting the big, we have discussions with sort of some of our key opinion leaders and key researchers here in the UK as to how we might be doing this. And then and taking guidance and um, experience from other researchers within the profession, from Canada and Denmark and Australia, 
you know, just just learning from what they've done and how we might be doing it. So there are plenty of things to do. <laughs> My list of to do jobs is never ending and always gets longer. Um, and uh, I just keep on doing it. So, so, it, but I think it's essential for for us to have a very good research base um, in order for the profession to grow and develop, which is exactly what it should do because we we do a really really good job for our patients. Um, and this is what you know coming right back down to earth when I go back into clinic and I am still a full-time clinician um, it's a huge privilege to be able to treat patients and make a big difference to their lives I think we forget this sometimes just what an impact we have but you know easing someone's back pain explaining what's going on is more often than not you know the, the big part is that their problem once they can understand what's going on they relax they stop worrying they sleep better they feel better and we get you know they get their quality of life back and and it means an awful lot to people and I think we sometimes forget this we get too bogged down with chiropractic politics and philosophy and um, it's all about the patient and anything that we can do to build and develop chiropractic in order to be seeing and helping more people I think it's got to be a good thing. Completely, I, I think there's a lot of exciting, uh, exciting things happening in the UK. I've learned, I've learned so much. I, I knew very little, to be honest with you, before, before speaking. <laughs> so I, I'm really, um, I'm glad I, I was able to to learn more about practice in the UK. Um, you're not, you're not allowed to move, Gayla. <laughs> I've been, I've been tempted <laughs> to all these I'm podcasts. If anyone wants, if anybody wants to come and work, and since you could pronounce the place name, you'd be an ideal candidate. <laughs> right. Well, at first I was going to go to New Brunswick. Now I'm tempted to go to the UK. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> a lot of great it's options warm. here. It's much warmer at this time of year. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> Um, You're <laughs> I really, I mean, I'd love, really would like to thank you for coming on with us today. It, it's, um, it has really been a pleasure to to have you speak to our, our listeners and, and speak with us. Um, for for our listeners, uh, if, uh, those who are listening, uh, is that time of the show where we ask you for a favor? Uh, try downloading the European Chiropractors Union app. Uh, it's free, and uh, let us know what you think of it. Yeah, and I'd uh, I'd like to thank Elizabeth for joining us as well, and it's uh, it's been a pleasure to work with you and to continue to work with you, and I look forward to to more in the future. Um, also, for our listeners, why don't you try out the Carrot app? We'll try and try and download that and, and check it out, and maybe see if some of your patients might be interested in that. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. We look forward to bringing you our next guest in a couple of weeks. Bye for now. Bye.